A quick note before we start episode 75, wow, 75 episodes of Snow the Goalie, the only Flyers podcast. We did an episode with Kevin Deneen, and what you're going to hear is hopefully what is the best version of what we were able to capture with Kevin. He spent over an hour on the phone with us, and we ran into a tech issue with the typical app that we use when we do the live stream. So what you're going to hear is Anthony and I, normal audio. Kevin Deneen's audio was captured via speakerphone through Anthony's phone into Anthony's mic. I spent a couple hours trying to level everything off so that you don't have any like weird fluctuations or anything that like blows your ear out. So I think it sounds solid. I know that sometimes hearing audio that's inconsistent in terms of the medium that it's been delivered through can be a little bit frustrating, but there is so much good information and so many great stories that Kevin Deneen provided in this episode. So I would hate to see anybody walk away from the episode because it's not quite up to the normal standard of audio that we you know, present week in and week out. It was a really, really good episode, and it's mostly Kevin and Anthony going back and forth for the entirety of their interview. Uh, I clipped out a whole bunch of parts uh, where we tried to do tech support. We're going to attach it to the end of this episode if you want to have a laugh, but the thing to keep in mind here is Kevin's unable to hear me, uh, so there's not a whole lot of interaction between he and I. He he ribs me, I think, a couple of times in what I kept in. Um, it, was a, it was a fun time. We hope to have him on again in the future because it really was a fun interaction, a fun interview with Kevin Deneen. Make sure you go support your local businesses, especially check out our friends over at Odd Logic Brewing Company, 500 Bristol Pike and Bristol PA. They're still working on, I saw they were doing collaboration beers with other local breweries in Bristol PA. Go out, support them, pick up their beer curbside. I know that they appreciate the support. We've got to help keep our local businesses, our local breweries in business throughout this quarantine. So if you haven't tried them yet, 500 Bristol Pike and Bristol PA, Odd Logic Brewing Company, and our friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. Use the promo code CROSSINGBROAD if you sign up today and uh, take take advantage of some of the great uh, bonuses and deposit bonuses they've got going on over at DraftKings Sportsbook. Without further ado, here's our episode. Episode number 75 of Snow the Goalie. Hi, my name is Ali Vignon, coach of the Flyers. Hey, I'm Travis Konechny. Hi, I'm Paul Holmgren. Hi, I'm Matt Niskanen. Hey, I'm Scott Lawton. Hi, I'm Joel Farabee. Hi, it's Derek Grant. Hi, this is Bob Clark. And you're, you're listening, listening to Snow the Goalie. 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 Oh, yes! Just let the finale of Turandot lead you into Snow the Goalie, the only Flyers podcast, the People's Podcast, the Players Podcast, the People's Podcast, the Pedialyte Podcast, the Pampers Podcast, the Propcast, the Presidential Podcast, the Prognosticators Podcast, the Pandemic Podcast, and Anthony Sanfilippo. Yeah. Pretty soon the Kevin Deneen podcast i thought there's about no this. there's so, no p there i know i was wondering so where you on, were going with on this. last week's show i had this thought <laughs> pop into my head and i was like why didn't we call it the canoebel cast when we had mike canoebel on it seems like a missed opportunity if you ask me anyway thanks for tuning in live on twitter at Crossing Broad, at Snow the Goalie, at Ant San Philly, at Joy on Broad, over on Facebook, facebook.com slash snow the goalie, facebook.com slash 
Crossing Broad. And over on YouTube Live, youtube.com slash Crossing Broad. Here we are, Anthony, yet another week of Philadelphia Flyers talk. And it's going to be a good one. We're going to be joined this evening by former Flyer Kevin Deneen, who, not the longest run as a Flyer, but quite a lengthy run as a coach. Anthony has done a laundry list of research. His talking points are unparalleled, incomparable, if you will. And hopefully this week, Anthony's not going to cite fake news on the show, waking <laughs> Russ up and I saying, bad about hey, that. Uh, could we, um, oh, I think, I think we're going to have to do a public apology, a retraction. Uh, Russ, I don't, I don't know what to do. What do we do? What do we do? We're not doing it this week. You want to no. pull any like last 10 minute of the show kind of nonsense. Oh, well, Russ, uh, there's actually some news this week. No, no, we're not doing it. Not doing it. Not doing but it. But there is news. There is uh, news. For the, on the Flyers beat. Unfortunate news. Yeah. Uh, disappointing news. Um, and it, frankly, news that just flat out pisses me off, to be mm-hmm. honest with you, Russ. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Dave Isaac, uh, one of the uh, probably the best beat writer on the uh, for the Flyers. I, there's, you know, they all do a fine job, but I think Dave is probably number one on that list of all the people that are there day in and day out around the team found out today that he was laid off by Gannett. So uh, he's no longer employed by the courier post in Jersey um, and is no longer covering the flyers for that, uh, that organization. If we come back this summer, I mean, is there a possibility that he gets picked up by somebody between now and, and, and the return of hockey? I think so, and I think yeah. that companies would be wise to try and grab him, um, those that can afford to have a guy on a beat on a daily basis. Um, I could think of two in this town that, that could really you know utilize his skills. Um, well, go ahead. Well, I think The Athletic, and I think uh, NBC Sportsnet, and that's no knock for, on Charlie O'Connor at, at The Athletic or Jordan Hall at NBC. Um, but I think that they both have the capacities to kind of grow their uh, their coverage and uh, allow for someone with Dave's experience and Dave's connections to be a full on beat reporter and let the other person uh, in Charlie's case kind of really focus on uh, the analytics side of things, which is what he does really well for the athletic and uh, for NBC Sports to let Jordan kind of be more of a featurey kind of writer, which he's really good at uh, over at NBC Sportsnet. So I think that both of those entities would be wise to reach out to Dave and see if he's available immediately don't wait until the start of the 2020 2021 season which isn't going to be until thanksgiving yeah don't wait till then to, to bring him in bring him in now and have it be that he's ready to go for the playoffs and really kind of you know enhance your coverage but what pisses me off ross and i said that and this get, is it. I'm gonna get it get is it that we're talking 10 years now that the that the um, I don't. I don't, don't want to just say newspaper industry because I think that it, there's multi-platform media that really doesn't get it, doesn't understand how this is supposed to operate in in today's world. Don't know what the hell they're doing. Mm-hmm. They really don't. They don't have any clue as to how to disseminate news and and to make money off of it and to get keep the best people employed. Yeah. And for ten years, these places have been laying people off, have been taking you know, livelihoods away from really good people 
really good reporters, really good journalism. Yep. And, you know, we, we sit here in an era where last week on this program, um, we were, not we, I was duped by an aggregator of news um, where <laughs> they really just went out and took Dave's story and cobbled together comments on their own. So it was, it wasn't like it was, you know, just misinformation or, you know, mislabeled or whatever. They actually took portions of two different writings of Dave's and cobbled together into one mm -hmm. and made it so that it sounded like he was saying something that he was not saying. Yep. Okay. That's what's being passed off as journalism. And the reason that that's being passed off that way is because we've lost all sense of what it really is. Yep. Okay. And I know that there are people who will sit there and say, oh, journalism, journalism, blah, blah, blah. But you know what? It's really bad because this is this is why, you know, Facebook has to put in um, certain filters now for news as, as to determine what's real and what's not. This is why we had, you know, and this is not meant to be political, but this is why you have outside interference with trying to, um, uh, you know, make people believe a certain thing about certain political candidates, okay? So, I mean, these kinds of things happen because we've let them happen because we the, the news organizations who, you know, the conglomerates who are, are, are running your newspapers and running your television stations and your news entities can't freaking figure it out. And rather than have the people on their staffs who know what they're doing and know how to share that news objectively and to provide... Uh, factual information and not something that's purely speculative or completely on a whim, um, which a lot of a lot of people do now. They just throw something out there and hope they get it right. And if they don't, oh, it's easy to say you're sorry and go get it right next time. It's not how it used to be. And I might sound like an old man when I say that, but the fact of the matter is, is that this is the reason why we have what we have today. And yep. so many good reporters like Dave Isaac are now being let go. <laughs> We're talking about hockey, right? So this is yeah. it's not like we're talking about like you know stuff that's majorly important. But now who's who's going to be covering Philadelphia Flyers for Gannett? And guess what? South Jersey, Delaware, where those paper where you know the Gannett newspapers are, there's a huge, huge base of Flyers fans. Yep. You should be trying to reach them. Instead, you're saying, you know what, we don't need it, or we'll send somebody who's not very good, or whatever the case might be. Mm -hmm. We're cutting that back. That's less people who are now going to read your pro your product. Yep. That's fewer people that that's fewer people who are now going to advertise in your product. You don't understand. You've had to spend money to make money. And these organizations refuse to spend money. All they want to do is cut, 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 cut. And it only hurts the people who were doing the job well. And then the business continues to flounder. It's poorly run, it's poor execution of business management, and it's a real damn shame what's happened to journalism in America. That was Thank good. You. That was good. I think I might have to uh, make that a, a little cut out of the show for uh, social media. That was well done. Look at you. <laughs> Look at you. Yeah. How to get was, that in. That was well stated. Anyway, I don't think Dave's going to be waiting long until there's uh, a suitor out there. No. I think, no, I think I, both I of the either. places that you mentioned would be intelligent places to... Locally, I mean, but there are places that could be national that Dave could fit in just as well. Sure. To be honest, I mean, yeah. Dave, ha Dave's, Dave's reach is b far beyond Philadelphia. Yeah. I, I was just suggesting the local, um, 
outlets that could that could find you know use his abilities. But I, I think that there are places, you know, national websites, national you know hockey organizations that that would sit there and say, you know what, let's talk to that Dave Isaac guy and get him on board. I, I think that would be a smart move on their well, part. Well, and he's as well. now uh, he's what the the local chair president so, of the so he's the yeah he's the chapter chairman of the philadelphia chapter of the professional hockey writers association yeah. um uh, obviously uh, you know uh, technically i guess his title is <laughs> is no longer until we see i think that you know you know with frank saravalli on the national uh, committee there um for determining, you know, who, you know, who the, the local um, representatives are. I think that they'll probably buy him some time. They won't like say, oh, we need somebody in his place. Yeah. I mean, especially that there's no hockey going on right now. So it really doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, it, maybe if games were happening right now and this happened to Dave, then someone else would probably have to take it over. But I, I think that with, with the pause in the season that I think it can wait. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that the, you know, national the the national organization or international organization as it were um will will allow that to happen to see if dave takes on a role here mm-hmm. uh in philly and keep the keep the position but yeah i mean i it, it's it's disappointing it, you know as someone who served in that role it's it's an it's an important position because you are the representative for all of the writers uh, with any any kind of issues with the team or with the league um, that would affect media being able to do their job properly, and you know, so it's it's an important gig, and Dave's the right person for it. So, well, look at know, that. We'll see what happens. Look at that. You know, some people don't give credit where credits due. We here at Snow the Goalie, the only Flyers podcast, like to keep the people informed, and of course, make sure that we're doing the best that we can for the local fans. All right, there are questions that have already started to load up in our queue, and we'll get to them momentarily. But first, I think it's time that we welcome in former Flyer, Kevin Deneen. Now, I don't know Anthony. I don't know if you let him know ahead of time that he was going to be coming on live, but we're going to go with it now. And, and there he is, ladies and gentlemen. Kevin Deneen is here on the Technology program. Technology at its finest. Technology doing, at its finest. Now you guys are stuck with me. Yo, Anthony, how you doing? I'm doing good, Kevin. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> Five years in Chicago and six in, uh, six in uh, 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 Philly. I can say, that's how I speak to anybody named Anthony. I always go, yo, how you doing? How you doing? That's right. That's right. It's a nice little Italian yeah. thing. That's good. That's good. Oh, Kevin, what, this is not the way we expected to do this, but I appreciate you. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I was more worried about doing this outside, but I was like, hey, if I'm going to be in Southern California, I'm going to be going on a podcast, I might as well get out of the dungeon I've been in for the last month and a half here. So sitting on my back porch and, uh, yeah. That's awesome. That's a- yeah. I'm doing, doing well. Thanks for making this work. That was good. I think this is a good workaround. This is a good workaround, right? This is good for video. Uh, this is good for audio. We're, we're good to go. That's the only problem. Oh boy. Some people would say that's not a problem at all. All right. So here's so here's what we'll do. Here's what we'll do. You obviously you can't hear Russ, which is which is probably a good thing. Uh, um I, I'm gonna be asking most uh, I'm gonna be asking most of the questions anyway. Okay. Um uh, if he says something, then I will just repeat <laughs> it to you. That's all. Hey, 
We'll see. We'll see. So anyway, so what we've been doing, Kevin, in the last couple of weeks, we had uh, Mike Knubel last week. We had Brian Prop the week before. Um, we've been uh, catching up with former Flyers uh, players uh, and just kind of doing something we call 20 questions, where we just basically go through your hockey career and just kind of talk about it, get some anecdotes, some fun stories, and really give the the viewers and the listeners an opportunity to, to you know, catch up with you after uh, after some time, because I know you haven't really done much with uh, here in Philly since, I guess, the last thing that you were involved with was when uh, they brought back all the captains. Was that was that the thing that last yeah, time? Yeah, memory. yeah, that's exactly when I was back there. And what a great day. Uh, a couple days that was on typical uh, Snyder family put on a great weekend. Every single flyer in in, uh, uh, in, in history, the, the organization was there and they came in there and had a couple really nice events. And uh, we did it a, a few things on the ice during the game and uh, was able to show Philly off to my family and that kind of Thing. So that was a great couple days. Jeez, you know, coming from a coaching background here, I ended up uh, watching a couple of the last Flyers game just to have a little pre-scout just in case the current Flyers came up. So, uh, you know, <laughs> that's it. But uh, a, a trip down memory lane works just as well for me. Well, we're going to start way back. And, you know, one of the things I usually ask uh, the guests that come on is I like to talk about where you grew up. But the, the funny thing is with you, is that you didn't really grow up in one place. You, you kind of grew up everywhere. Um, and, and I guess that's being part of a hockey family. I mean, you were born in Quebec, but your dad was coaching in so many different places that I think if my math is correct, and I, I, I sat here and tried to figure it out just kind of based on age, I guess you would have you know started off in Quebec, but then you ended up in Seattle early, maybe the first two years that you were in grade school, and then you went to Denver for a couple of years. And right. then Houston, and then Connecticut, uh, and then Toronto. All right, and then you've done your research. Well, thanks. Yeah. So what, discussing my background, the easiest way is, is not uh, by the city or what year it was. It's really by what grade I was in. And uh, you know what? Well, I'm in Coronado, California. We're just across the uh, uh, from the San Diego, so we've got a neat spot. But this is a major, major naval base uh, uh, right here on the island. This is where we train all our seals, and uh, uh, we've got a couple of aircraft carriers just down the way. So there's a really big military presence, and uh, anybody that's been in uh, uh, pro sports knows uh, that uh, uh, there turns tends to be a little bit of a suitcase to your life, and uh, uh, for me, I would have, uh, you know, been born in Quebec. My dad was a player. He was a player in Seattle for six years. So kind of like uh, went to, to um, preschool there. And then uh, we ended up uh, going from Seattle to Denver, Colorado. I uh, was in Denver from uh, grade two and three. And then in, in um, uh, Houston, grade four through grade nine. Uh, Connecticut for a year, grade 10, Toronto, 11 and 12, and then University of Denver. So that was just kind of uh, my upbringing. And, uh, you know, what? we're a family of six, too. So uh, you can imagine the logistics of moving all those kids and all those family around. But uh, you know what? It, it You say, ah, there's some negatives to it. My kids have gone through it as well. But uh, you know what? It gives them a pretty diverse uh, background by the time they're – 15 or 16, you know, you can uh, have a conversation with somebody. It's amazing uh, the, uh, the, the 
places that you've lived that you may know a couple stories about or something like that. So it's like anything, you take the positives from it. And for me, you know what, I was spoiled. I got to grow up around uh, uh, hockey dress rooms. There can't be a better setup than that for a kid. You guys are around the Flyers. You've got some guys on the team there now that uh, uh, probably have young kids. And I tell you what, those are the best memories you ever find hanging around locker rooms. So pretty cool place to grow up. Well, it's interesting. It's funny. And I was going to talk about your family being a, a real hockey family. I mean, obviously, you had two brothers who played in the league. And, you know, Peter was drafted by the Flyers, as a matter of fact. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and I think he's currently an associate coach with uh, Adirondack in the ECHL, right? Uh, and then your, bro- your brother Gord, who was a defenseman for 12 years, I think, in the NHL, with mostly with the Islanders and the Penguins. Um, uh, he's an assistant coach with Rochester and then, uh, your brother, Sean is a scout for Nashville and, and, uh, your brother, Jerry's been the video coach for the Rangers for forever. It, was it kind of ingrained in you guys with your dad being a coach that you guys were all going to get involved in coaching at some point in hockey eventually when, you know, when you got to that age? Uh, boy, I, I, uh, I would like to say that there was, uh, been different career paths but uh you know what you you take pride and 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 great fortune in knowing that uh you know what to be able to make a living doing what you absolutely love to do is a uh uh it's a great thing and i was very fortunate you know i got to play for 19 years uh you know had a ton of great cities i lived in and had great teammates and uh and fond memories of your your playing days days and all of a sudden you're 38 years old and it's like holy smokes you know what? Now I'm quote unquote retired. Well, not really. It's time to to start the real world. And uh, I was very, very fortunate. You know what? I was in Columbus, Ohio, uh, retired. And that was right about, it was 203. So that was when the role of player development was just coming into play. And I kind of created a job there in Columbus and uh, talked to Doug McLean about that and uh, was able to start, and, uh, was the guy that started the player development uh, uh a program in Columbus and uh, you know what now I think every team's got at least two guys doing player development and a lot of times three and uh, it was pretty neat to walk into that and, you know when you talk to any retired player they're going to talk about that two year of kind of mourning you go through after you know what there's a, it's a tough thing it's a little loss of identity it's uh, what's the next step and uh, I certainly went through that and then I was really fortunate uh, that Brian Burke was uh, good enough to uh, offer me the American League job and I was coaching uh, uh, the Ducks farm team in Portland Maine and it was like bang that was it it was like a match struck just being able to get into that coaching side it's like okay there's the passion and there's where the excitement was again so uh i've been very fortunate as have been my brothers to be able to stay in the game and uh, and to make a living and uh, to, to do what we love to do that's great now one of the cool things i want to take you back you talked about growing up in a hockey locker room i guess you were in you were a young kid in houston when your dad had the house there right we had gordy and mark and marty hal all at the same time that had to be incredibly fun for you as a young kid to be around that family at that point right yeah that uh, to be around gordy hal let's let's not kid ourselves and then i played with mark in philly right right, right. gordy hal to be able to grow up around gordy hal and uh, mark hal and marty hal and murray and uh, uh their whole family uh, I can't tell you what a absolute uh, a pleasure that was. And uh, you know what? 
uh, it was full access too. You know, I was be 10 or 11 years old and I'm hanging out in the locker room beforehand. And these guys are, they're either telling stories about what they did the night before. They're talking about the game a little bit. So it was a, a great learning curve to be around. We get out on the ice. You know, my dad had a rule. Now, back then you didn't have assistant coaches. Basically you had a head coach, you had an equipment guy and you had a medical guy and that was basically your staff. So my dad would get out there on the ice. So his rule was you got three or four guys. As soon as three or four guys were on the ice, you had to get off. So we'd get off the ice and we'd sit on the bench. And then uh, as soon as that whistle blew at the end, we'd hop on the ice. And I can't tell you, uh, guys like Ted Taylor, like guys, guys like Larry Lund, guys uh, Gordy Howe, that used to spend time with us on the ice and be able to do a couple little things and and pass pucks with those kind of guys. Boy, what a great way to grow up! So, uh, just consider myself literally from being a, a, a small kid to to uh, literally playing for my dad with the Flyers, which is obviously very unique uh, to have that experience. I was uh, I was pretty lucky in this game, to say the least. Yeah, that's 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 fun. Um, I, I was looking back at it, and you know, uh, you played junior B before you went to the University of Denver, and I think you played two years at Denver. You were drafted uh, by Hartford in the third round of '82. Now, I, I had heard uh, through the grapevine that there's a funny story that kind of ties into you and Peter, your brother, uh, about draft day. Um, is, is, you... Oh, that was ignorant. Yeah. <laughs> he was ignorant, I should say. Yeah. Yeah. That was, you know, that was long before you wore a suit and went to the draft and you sat in the stands and that kind of thing. At that time, you kind of waited around the house and you were hoping the, uh, the phone rang and, uh, you know what? My dad was actually scouting for Hartford at the time, and uh, uh, I was out and I went downtown. I got a workout. Went to St. Mike's in Toronto. When I come back home uh, after, and my brother's got that little smirk on his face, and he says to me, he "says uh, so, hey, your dad drafted you." <laughs> so, <laughs> what an ignorant thing to say to somebody, right? <laughs> anywhere you'd rather go the last thing you want to think is have your dad anything to do with uh, uh you're getting drafted and uh you know what uh, uh when he got home from the draft a couple of days later so uh, and actually that is a true story my brother we ended up actually getting into a little bit of a scrap over it too because i was so mad and he knew i would be mad because i kind of you know i hadn't really said it but you know what getting drafted by your dad you know kind of kind of sets a tone that uh you know maybe a favor was thrown in there but i guess when they, they don't do favors in the third round usually they, they do that the eighth or ninth round and, then, so. and, and he was drafted in the ninth round right yes yes exactly <laughs> yes so i was able to give him a little shot along the way there <laughs> that's awesome um uh, uh so before you before hey russ, hey russ get comfortable there <laughs> listen <laughs> i had to get my wire he's gonna he's got music queued up he's gonna well he's not gonna be able to hear it now (laughs) (laughs) but um anyway uh, before you turn pro uh you had an opportunity to play in the olympics for team canada in 84 right at sarajevo Uh, what was that experience what was that i know you guys finished fourth you didn't medal but what was that experience like yeah you know what it was interesting i played two years of college hockey at denver as a defenseman and then uh tried out for the u.s team because they had u.s citizenship i had dual citizenship 
went to the uh, U.S. camp, got cut right away. And uh, you know what? Canada had an opportunity later in the, uh, the, the next summer. Excuse me. That was for the, the junior team. Uh, the, you, Canada didn't invite me. And the next year, I kind of had a good year. And Canada and, and U.S. both invited me to try out for their Olympic teams. And I chose Canada. And uh, you know what? It was... Ended up making the team as a defenseman. Maybe one of the best experiences my whole life. If you can imagine being 19 with a bunch of guys the same age and traveling around Switzerland and, and Sweden and Russia. And uh, we, we did a couple trips overseas. We did a, a, a tour of the U.S. and Canada. Played like a 10-game series against the U.S. team. Uh, it was a it was just a fabulous experience before we got to the Olympics and then end up getting to Sarajevo and uh, you know I a really interesting story get to Sarajevo and uh, get uh, cut literally a week before the Olympics really and, uh, yeah yeah and they gave me the option you know what you can go home or you can come experience the Olympics I was gonna, I was gonna stay at Labatt House right. So as a 19-year-old kid, I'm like, all right, I could stay at a place called Labatt House for uh, for three weeks and hang out there. <laughs> so end up going to the Olympics, and uh, uh, we get to the Olympics, and uh, the U.S. files a complaint against Canada that they have two professional players on their team. Mark Morrison and Dale Dietrich are two uh, guys that had played, uh, like uh, Mark Morrison, I think, had played seven or eight uh, NHL games uh, two years before and considered them pro players. You At that time, you could play ten, less than 10 games, a little right. bit of the rules now. And uh, sure enough, the uh, IOC ruled in favor of the U.S., and uh, those players were knocked off the team, and uh, next thing you know, I was there in opening lineup. So pretty amazing story, but i got to tell you, representing your country in the Olympics, you know, I can't describe, I, I don't get more excited telling a story whether I did it as a 19-year-old kid or I did it as uh, however old I was when I coached the uh, women's uh, team in uh, in Sochi, you know what? There's just there's no better feeling than being a part of a team, and not just a hockey team. This is like part of a you know uh, the Olympic team, which means skaters and skiers and bobsledders, and uh, you know what? You meet some fabulous people. It's uh, certainly bigger than the game itself, and uh, a lifelong memory. Oh, he just oh he hung up. <laughs> he hung up on you. I'll call him back. Anthony. <laughs> Holy smokes. Now, uh, just so you know, I did make sure my computer was charged. I don't know. If <laughs> yeah, you're Ask fine. him what's in the glass. What's, what are you drinking? What's in there? Russ wants, Russ wants to know what you're drinking. I think that's just a big old glass of water, right? Water. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. All right. right. It is happy hour here, by the way. Okay, so I got you about uh, I got you about three hours here on this side of things. So a nice sunny day. It's been about almost 80s in uh, San Diego here the last four days. And uh, if we hang on the phone here for about another 40 minutes, you'll hear uh, they play revelry down at the base here. I'm about uh, about a quarter of a mile from wow. Oh, that's the, cool. The helicopter base, and it's actually pretty neat. You know what? To live in a community like this and realize uh, the uh, amount of pride people have in the flag, and uh, to see what these guys and and women do to represent their country is a pretty neat place to live. So, uh, no, just water for me right now. But 
I might have to have a glass of wine after uh, putting up with you. He's a wine guy. <laughs> a red good. or white? Right, Ross wants to know, are red or white? I'll just start writing red, questions. For sure. For red. You're red? Red. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Just, uh, yeah, down uh, down South Philly there, uh, you know, try to drink your red wine. <laughs> That's but... right, you do. That's right, yeah. you do. <laughs> uh... <laughs> All right, getting back to uh, getting back to your playing days. Um, so you go pro in '84, '85, and you started in yeah. Bing- you started in Bingo, um, Binghamton, um, but you got called up in December. And in 57 games, you put up 41 points, 25 goals, 16 assists, 41 points. Today, that would be considered a great rookie season. You finished 14th in the Calder voting because you came into the league at the same time as Mario Lemieux, Chris Chelios, John Van Beesbrook, Kirk Muller, Thomas Thomas Sandstrom. That was a heck of a class, right? Yeah, 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 it was. And uh, you know what? Uh, it was a pretty incredible uh, time to come into the league because, I mean, you just look at that crew of players right there and the skill set that was coming into the league, you know, obviously led by Mario, no question. He was the, uh, the rock star that came in and just, you know what? He played the game uh, just... Oh boy, hard to describe. He played like a, a small guy, right, with hands and skill and just grace. And uh, but the size of him, he was just massive. He was smart. He had a great stick. Uh, you know, obviously Gretzky was all the rage and uh, had uh, really put hockey on the map. But Mario came into the game and uh, certainly put his own stamp on it. And, uh, you know what? There's guys. Uh, you know, you go to the Olympic team, Kirk Mueller, and uh, uh, was a guy that we ended up uh, still keep in touch. You know, it's just uh, pretty neat to to have uh, had those experiences with uh, uh, with all those guys. And I, I want to talk about Hartford because Hartford is was is a fun place, and I don't think you know it, it's a shame that there's no NHL there now. I got to experience it the the one year I covered the uh, AHL when the uh, hockey, when the NHL locked out in 0405. Um, but the, the, the arena was inside of a mall, which was, which was pretty awesome in and of itself. It was a, it was a fun place to play. Right. I mean, it was kind of a cool environment even for AHL, right? A hundred percent. Yeah. You know what, for us, uh, you know, you always wonder how different your life would have been if you, uh, you know, just one team had decided to pick you a, a pick earlier, that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, you could have played in the city. Uh, early in your career, like Philadelphia, like New York, like Chicago, L.A., you know what? Hartford's a small town in between uh, uh, Boston and New York, and uh, you know what? But it was I loved it. I loved the people. I loved the fans. I loved uh, uh, where I lived. Uh, it had a little rural aspect outside of it. I mean, I'm a big uh, fisherman, and gotten into hunting as well and uh, i just enjoyed that kind of stuff you know we we're mountain biking we get out you know lived out of the city and uh you know certainly wasn't uh, the fast life and not might have been made up for everybody but we really enjoyed our time there and uh it was a good place for me to land uh two of the two things that i love about hartford i thought that they had the best sports logo in hockey history so it's so good that the Carolina Hurricanes have brought it back as an alternate uniform in a completely different in a completely different city. That's how good it is. Yes. And you had the best goal song ever in Brass Bonanza. Oh, I've got it. Yeah, Here we go. Uh, it, it definitely had a couple of catches. Definitely look at Russ's doing the bump, bump, bump. Yeah. Yeah. It, it 
it had a couple things to it that people just the, the longevity has just been unbelievable and uh, my kid had a Hartford Whaler hat on today believe it or not we were going to work out we were going to go uh, we, we got this little quiet area where I go and, and kind of beat the, the heck out of him he's a 19 year old kid that's playing in the USHL very excited for him uh, uh, had a good year last year and he's off to school uh, in another year so we're we're getting workouts but he had a Hartford Whaler hat on and I was giving him grief I'm like can you wear the whale you're going to sweat through a whale hat why are you doing that and I realized and then I literally said to him I said you know what don't worry about it we can get a whale hat anywhere now right I thought it was like one of our old ones but it's true the logo is still around it's easy to find I think it's still one of the better selling items as far as NHL merchandise so pretty neat to see that yeah um I think that the best team that Hartford had was probably your 85-86 team. Um, that's the year you guys upset Quebec in the first round, and then you went seven games with Montreal uh, before losing an overtime game seven. Uh, then they went on, Canadians went on to win the Stanley Cup that year. Um, you scored what had to be probably the biggest goal in Hartford's history, which is the overtime game winner in game four. Right, that even that series of two games apiece. Um, but you also scored the only goal in game six, which actually was 34 years ago tonight. That one nothing win, Mike Liu, 32 save shutout uh, to force game seven. Uh, wow. 34 years ago tonight, as a matter of fact. Um, what was what was that? I mean, just I, take me through that that little bit of a run there, those two rounds, because that was some, from my memory serves, I was a teenager at the time. That was some really good, really good hockey. Yeah, it was, and uh, you know what? It was exciting because you're part of a franchise that uh, has, uh, I won't say limped along, but uh, uh, you were everybody's little cousin, you know, what the Rangers were this way, and you had the big bad Bruins were down this way, and Flyers had had a uh, really solid run uh, along the way, and then all of a sudden here comes uh, this team out of a small town, Hartford, Connecticut, and uh you know what? It was really well put together. ML Francis had uh, uh, put some great pieces in there. And uh, you know what? We kind of strike uh, some fire where the season uh, had finished strong. We played Buffalo in the first round. We had a good run against them. Uh, ended up uh, getting against uh, uh, Montreal in the second round. And uh, you know what? I think you talk to any player, doesn't matter who or whatever, uh, there's different areas that uh, sometimes even as an old goat like me, you, 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 you think back on the what-ifs that happened during the course of the series. And when you go game seven overtime against another team, I don't think it was a better team. I think it's a uh, really, really uh, well-matched um, uh, uh, series. And I think, uh, for me, I think uh, uh, that that uh, a series against Montreal, boy, there could have been a couple plays here or there that, that could have changed things around at the end of it. Uh, I think uh, it was just neat to see a whole, not even really a city, but the state of Connecticut embrace us and get excited about um, – um, what the Whalers were doing and uh, uh, some great hockey played, some great goaltending, Mike Liu, we had great defense, uh, Dave Pab Babbage, Joel Quinville, uh, our forward groups you know, led by Ronnie Francis were incredibly strong. So, um, you yeah, know, pretty, pretty uh, exciting time to say the least. So from there, the next uh, exciting thing is you go on to play for uh, Canada 
uh, oh, I guess it wasn't Canada, but I guess it was uh, the NHL All-Stars, but it was played in Canada. Rendezvous 87 against the oh, Soviets, yeah. right? Right, right. Uh, now, th- I remember I remember wishing that it was a best of three. You guys only played two games, and, and, and you split right. the two games. You scored um, uh, a goal in the third period of the game that the, the NHL team won, assisted by Dave Poulin, and then Dave Poulin scores the game winner um, right. uh, in that after that. Um, yeah, you got to get into the shade, right? That sun's killing you. Well, I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's not even the sun. I don't know if I might keep up just looking at a black spot. I might be better than actually seeing what I look like right now. <laughs> hey, by the way, guess what? What's that? Last night, as soon as you guys told me, I realized that this was going to be a uh, a uh, video. Yeah. I thought we were just getting on and just talking on the phone, right? Yeah. Which is what we're doing anyway. <laughs> right? Other than you gotta look at me, but my wife gave me a haircut last she week. Hey, good. hey, yeah, that looks yeah, good. That's right, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. good stuff. Yeah, and not not a lot there on top that you can see, but uh, you know what? Yeah, got it, got it, uh, got it done there. So that's good. That's good. But yeah, so eighty-seven rendezvous. Yeah. I mean, that was that was an intense two games, right? Oh, geez, it was unreal. It really was. You know, it was uh, uh, instead of an all-star game that year, it wasn't just Canadian players or American players. It was in a kind of an international flavor. It was the NHL versus the Russia. And let's not kid ourselves. Uh, Canada versus Russia, U.S. versus Russia. There's some great series that go back. But in that time in 87, those Russian players, they wanted to play in the NHL. You know what? They had represented their country for all those years. They wanted to play in the league, and they wanted to be a part of that. And, uh, uh, to be surrounded by uh, some of the best players, uh, well, the best players in the uh, in the NHL, and uh, to play against a very worthy opponent, you know, like uh, a team that uh, uh, just just so graceful and so classy in the way they played the game, you know, uh, just. Uh, the Russians are, you know what, I hated them. And I'm not kidding, I did. I just, I despised them. That's the way I grew up. Let's not kid ourselves. You right. know what, Clark started it. Clark, he was the guy that, you know what, if we can't beat him, what are we going to do? We're going to break their ankle. Right. Slash, like, slash their ankle, right? Right. Remember, that's how we played against Canada, uh, the Russians. And I grew up on that. So I, I had a major, major dislike for him. But you also realize that was pretty short-sighted because the way they played the game is really what the best you see in the NHL is right now. You see skating, you see skill, you see, hey, uh, trust me, I'm not anybody. I have nothing I love more than have a little little bite to the game and a little testosterone out there. But uh, you know what? Russia was a great opponent. And to be a part of that, to be a part of that series, uh, you know, definitely another uh, thing. Very fortunate to have a night, lifelong memory like that. And Dave Poulin, you know what? One of the all-time class guys. You know what? A great captain for the Flyers. Great uh, coach at the University of Notre Dame in management. And I know he's on your guy's side of the business right now. Can't say enough about Pools. Yeah, that's good stuff. So during all this is all this is happening. You have you know your great rookie year. You have the eighty five eighty six run to the the uh, conference semifinal. Um, you have your first 40, first of two forty goal seasons in eighty six eighty seven. You're an all star twice. And during all this, your young man who found out that he had Crohn's disease. Could, what was you know? And that's and that's got to be a hard thing to deal with because it's a chronic illness for a professional. Normally, professional athletes are used to 
you know, yeah. oh, it's something you can recover from real quick and be back out there 100. percent right. This is something you now have to manage. What was what was that kind of like dealing dealing with that and learning how to the, the things you had to do while maintaining you know being at the peak performance as a professional athlete. Well, it wasn't easy. Hey, you know what? You come from an athletic background and you have an injury and it's like, you know what? You're injured. Hey, how long does it take to heal up? Okay, you got a knee injury. Yeah, they told you four weeks. So you do what you got to do and you do the put the work in and all of a sudden it gets better, right? You break something else, whatever. How long does it take for a bone to heal? And that's my mentality that, uh, you know what? Okay, I got Crohn's. How long does it take to get better? Well, you know what? That's not the way this one works, right? You just... Uh, uh, it's a lifelong battle. There were some major uh, lifestyle adjustments in your diet, and your your uh, sleep habits. And uh, in all honesty, it was Mike Keenan that broke the story because I would uh, gotten a little bit sick uh, during as I was going into. Oh, boy, it was I think it was uh, in, into uh, a rendezvous. Uh, excuse me, the Canada Cup that summer uh, was was coming up, and uh, he had broke the kind of said, "Well, uh, Denine's got uh, uh, Crohn's, and uh, we're not sure if he's going to be able to play." And I was really upset about that because I didn't want anybody to know about that. Right here, you know, how is it going to affect your career? Is going to affect your, you know, your pay or anybody thinking? And I was like, I was really upset about that. And as soon as the word kind of got out uh, about that I had Crohn's. I mean, it was amazing, absolutely amazing how many people reached out to me. I got letters from around the country from, you know what, you always talk about the tiger mom. The tiger mom's the one that, uh, you know, who looks after a kid, makes him do this and that. You take a tiger mom that uh, her kid gets Crohn's, and it's amazing how many moms I had to reach out to me and say, you know what, my son has Crohn's. What are you doing? How are you able to to literally do what you do, play a professional game while you have this? So uh, I turned it into to kind of that. You know, I became a, a, a spokesman for the CCFA. Mm-hmm. Uh, got to meet some great people. Did a lot of public speaking, and uh, you know what? It's uh, hey, it's part of your your life and uh, what I have realized is I've been incredibly fortunate compared to the number of people that I've talked to that have had challenges with Crohn's. I'm one of the more fortunate ones for sure. That's that's pretty awesome. That, that's really it's really cool, especially since you've been with you know such a, a great advocate for uh, Crohn's and Colitis uh, Association, and and that's you know it, it's great to hear that because people who people struggle through this you know and um and and they don't they don't they don't know where to go and they get kind of embarrassed about it and here you are speaking publicly about it saying hey look you can still have you can still live your life and do it the right way just you know manage it the right way and. <clears throat> Um, that's pretty awesome. And well, yeah. you listen to your doctors, right? Yeah. It's like anything. It's like uh, what we're going through right now. You got to listen, right? Yeah. Don't think that you're going to be able, oh, you know what? Don't worry about uh, whatever, six feet. Don't worry about this. I'm not, well, you got to listen to people, right? So there's enough uh, good information out there, especially now with the internet and all those kind of things. You just uh, uh, make sure that uh, you, you, you take care of your own business and, uh, as I always think of others. So, and that's what uh, I was fortunate. I was able to, to meet a lot of fabulous uh, people through some uh, tough circumstances. So you leave, you end up getting traded from Hartford to, to the Flyers. Uh, that's in November, November of 91. And a few weeks later, uh, Homer, who was the coach at the time, Paul Holmgren is fired and your dad's hired as the head coach. 
that had to be kind of like a crazy whirlwind of uh you know month for you to have all that happen it was yeah yeah it was it was a weird time you know when i got married that summer married a a a girl from hartford and uh, annie had uh, you know kind of uh, she was a nurse at the time and uh uh end up all of a sudden in november you get traded it's like holy smokes you've been in one place for i think seven years and now all of a sudden you're going to a, a whole different ball of wax uh the flyers weren't very good at that time uh there was a lot of transition going on i think clark had left to uh take over uh the north stars and uh, uh jay snyder had stepped in in the management role uh to take over the team and uh russ farwell had come in as the GM and uh, you know what it was the team in transition and uh, you know what every team goes through that you see it happen a lot you know you see uh, uh, teams have had great success and the Flyers unfortunately weren't able to to get over that hump there and uh, in the in the late 80s they were close they had some fabulous teams and and now you're in a rebuilding stage so uh, you know to go into that there was a lot of personal things that you just kind of go wow all of a sudden uh, uh, things have changed talk gets traded i think a couple weeks or maybe a month after i was there uh homer gets fired my dad gets hired it was a uh, it was a very unique time but uh in saying that going from a quote-unquote small city like like hartford to a uh sports mad city like uh, philly it was it was a wild moment. It really was, you know, to put on a flyer uniform and, and to go into the spectrum and to play there and uh, to see just uh, you know like hey, being downtown Philly. My wife ended up going to get her master's in nursing at UPenn, and uh, you know sometimes I'd have a day off. I'd ride the subway down to to school with her. People with flyer uniforms all over. It was just it was cool to see. It was a Need to be in such a big city and to be in uh, a franchise that uh, uh, had such a historic uh, um, uh, record, uh, like the Flyers. So your set your second season, you had a really good season with the Flyers: thirty-five goals, sixty-three points. Kind of got lost behind Mark Recchi's franchise record that year, which was one hundred and twenty-three yeah. points. But there was also something else that was really big that year, and that was Eric Lindros's rookie year. What, what was yeah. what was that like going through the excitement of having a generational talent like Lindros coming to the Flyers? Uh, it was uh, it was we, Eric uh, was uh, to me. I it's it's hard to describe at that time. He was such an impact person not not just on on the flyers he was on the hockey i mean we're talking about a guy that not only uh was big and handsome and had personality and and just a uh you know it's like it's like let's not get it it's like beckham or lebron or something like that he was probably one of the more recognizable people in all of canada by the time he was 18 years old and then all of a sudden he ends up in philly and uh, it was the same thing like he just he just, in, in an instant, changed that whole franchise around. So, you know, there was kind of that part of it. But then you go to the rink, he's just Eric, you know. He's a big dummy. He's 18 years <laughs> old or 19, whatever he was. And, you know, what he did young things. He was he was very, I wouldn't say reserved, but he was very cautious in how he approached relationships with people. Uh, I think immediately, well, I know so, because he ended up in my, uh, my friggin' attic for uh, a year and a half. Uh, he, uh, uh, you know what? He was very cautious in a lot of ways. 
uh, at the end of that, he was just a little kid that absolutely loved the game. So it was kind of different, you know, like you have this whole view of the, the whole, not just NHL, but just his persona for the game was just like, he was the next one. He was the guy. And then all of a sudden, you know him on a personal level and he's living in your attic and it was, uh, it's different, you know, him as a person. And, uh, you know what, we still keep in touch today. Can't say enough about him. It was a, uh, a great experience to see him. And I, and I haven't even talked about the way he played the game. The way he played the game, oh, my God. I mean, the first couple games that he played, I was like, holy jeez, this guy, uh, he's such a bully out there, right? <laughs> he's big, he's strong, but, God, he could play, make plays. He thought the game well. He, you know, was an intelligent player. He was, he was, he was worth the whole package. And uh, let's not kid ourselves. The Flyers gave up a lot, but he was worth it. Now, whose idea was it for him to live with you? Was that was that you, or did your, your was oh, your God. did your dad come to you and say, "Hey, can you no. can you take Eric in?" Like, how did that no, work out? He, he bought he bought like a condo, like a townhouse in Cherry Hill, uh-huh. and uh, he had like three stories, and he got like an interior designer to come in, and she fixed up all the floors, and there was furniture everywhere, and he had the whole bit, and uh, came to, you know, so he had this whole place, and he came to me the rink one day, and he would like come over the house, and he'd the house with Annie and I, and we were fairly, we were newlyweds for the most part, I think in our second year of marriage. And uh, he came to the rink one day. He says, "Hey, uh, hey, you know, do you mind? Uh, you mind if I move in with you?" And I was like, "Well," I said, "Let me go and talk to my daddy." Uh, so I went home. And really, what it was is, you know, what he had this gorgeous old house that he spent. I think he was making whatever he's making four million bucks a year. He he basically, I think he was lonely, and uh, he wanted to be around people, and he he trusted us and. We ended up, he moved over to our little place. We had a, literally a, like a bungalow in Haddonfield, and we had an unfinished attic, and he was living in our attic. We didn't have any drywall. It was like literally studs up there. <laughs> There's a bathroom. We took a one-by-one, one and we ran it across, and we nailed all the one-by-one one in the studs. That he was his coat rack, so we had, that was where he hung all his clothes. And then we literally a mattress on the floor and that's where he lived he lived there for a year and a half and uh, it was uh, it was uh, yeah some funny stories going in there to, to say the least spending time around and you know what he was, he liked he liked this he'd bring he'd uh, bring a, a, a Eagles cheerleader over for, for dinner and, and he would you know talk to her all night I'd do all the cooking and he'd be able to sit there and you know later on he'd be all set doing whatever he had to do so <laughs> Ah, uh, that is a good gig. That is a good. You were his, you were you were Eric's wingman. You won't mind me telling that story. I hope he does anyway. Uh, you were Eric's wingman. You and Annie were the the wing yeah, couple. Yeah. To be nineteen or twenty years old, but then he ended up. He got a. He got a. Uh, he he got a uh, baby Great Dane, and uh, we saw this cute little dog at about eight ten weeks. At about. 14 weeks, it was like, you know what? E, it's time for you to move out. Get back to your place. So that was the end of it. Well, it was like multiplying. You're like twos every two weeks. You know, oh, that's, bigger and bigger. Uh, that's so. funny. That's funny. Um, so you, you turned over. You became captain, uh, 93-94. Your dad gets fired. The next year, you give the captaincy to Lindros. You, you had a... It was that was just the lockout shortened season. It wasn't the greatest regular season for you, but then you, you kind of got hot in the playoffs. Um, 
can you talk about what you finally got to experience Philadelphia playoffs in that 94-95 season? And those first, you know, you beat the defending Stanley Cup champion Rangers in the second round. And you went game six against Jersey in the conference final before losing. That whole experience had to be like one of you, one of the most memorable times for you as a, as a player in the NHL, right? Well, yeah, it was because I, I just liked the way the Flyers did their business. You know what? Clarky had us all stay in a hotel uh, uh, the night before games. It was the first time you got a chance to experience, you know what? They, they had the, the, the team room where you'd go and you'd hang out. And you guys might have heard these stories. I mean, this is that's one of the best deals in the whole world that, you know what, playoffs are going on. You have nothing you're not worried about bills you're not worried about anything except playing the game and that's why you go to the hotel and you know what it was uh there was that end of it what how we performed on the ice uh i think it was a team that uh uh was extremely close and uh uh it was uh, had good balance to it uh you know we were good in net uh and uh uh you know, uh, Jersey was a Jersey was the real deal. They played the game a little bit different than anybody, everybody else. They had uh, some really solid players, but uh, it was the first time for me that I, I, you know, that systems uh, were making a difference in the game, and to see the way Jersey played the game and how you had to react to it uh, and the discipline you had to have against a team like that. Uh, was a great, great learning experience and certainly helped me out on the coaching side, realizing, uh, you know, what I always kind of came from that background. I think that was my dad was a very low-key guy. You know what? Good good players make good coaches. You know what? That kind of thing. You, 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 you know that. And you just, you know, you put the players on the ice, but coaching makes a huge difference. And uh, uh, Jersey was an extremely well-coached team. And, uh you know what? It was a great run to see the passion of the Flyers crowd and to uh, be playing hockey in, in late in the spring. Uh, pretty exciting stuff. Um, following that, you get sent back to Hartford. Um, you score the final goal in, in in Hartford before the team moves to to Carolina. It, it's almost it was almost like it it couldn't have been shouldn't have been anybody else at that time i mean, guess i guess ronnie francis was had already moved on to pittsburgh i guess at that point so if it couldn't be if it couldn't be him it it should have been it had to be you right i mean it, that that's a great storybook ending to the the, the history of the hartford whalers right well it's 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 you know yeah, i guess it'd be easy to say to be humble and say oh it didn't matter or whatever but uh, i think uh, my identity has always been with the whalers and uh, always will be so uh you know what a very emotional thing to be a part of uh, a franchise moving from a city and everyone to know it uh, you know what you guys go and you go to the press room before a game and you socialize with people and uh, you know it's no different for fans there's fans in in the in, in the in the building that have been sitting next to each other for 25 years, you know, they're their friends. I mean, that's all part of the package when you, uh, are, are, that, that's part of your social life. And that's, what's really tough about what's going on right now. People, you know what, you miss that kind of part of it. And, uh, uh trust me, I, I tell you one thing, I'll get off subject here a little bit that, uh, you know, it's not just a nine game winning streak. And, uh, we were, we were very similar in the way we were playing at the end of the year. I would have loved to uh, uh, have our team here in San Diego take a playoff run. I would have 
been very interesting. I think uh, uh, the Flyers would have been a very worthy opponent if they ended up playing uh, uh, in the playoffs this year. I think it was a very well put together team. So, uh, not sure what the original question was. I got off track there. A little bit. <laughs> no, you did great. You, you did great. That's, yeah, that's we're, we're get rambling away. No, that's good. No, you responded good. Um, so then, you know, you, you kind of wind down your career after Carolina. Uh, you go to Ottawa for a season, and you get picked by the Blue Jackets in the expansion draft. You finish your career there. Um, what do you? Here, I'm going to ask you a question. I think I know. I think you know the answer to this. But what do you, Rick Tockett, Pat Verbeek, Gary Roberts, Brendan Shanahan, Scott Mellenby, and Keith Kachuk have in common? Bad mullets around 1989. <laughs> that, and that, actor, that answer may be very correct. Yeah, I'm uh, thinking about it. I'm thinking about it. You might be right. It might be a mullet of some kind. Hockey hair. You know? Hey, the Tockett, the, the, the Zezel, the uh, Melody, those are the guys. They, they, were, they were guys rocking it. So yeah, absolutely. So it definitely has something to do with uh, uh, scoring and penalty minutes, I think. I'm not sure yep. what it is. So you're the only players in the history of the NHL to have more than 350 goals and more than 2,000 penalty minutes. Um, that's, that's seven of you. One, two, three, four, five, six. Yes, yeah, seven of you. Seven players in the history of the game. That says something for the way that you played over the course of your career, right? Well, you know what's interesting about that stat? It's those guys are all from the same era too, right? Yeah, except me, I guess Kachuk might have been a little bit after you guys, but other than yeah, that, yeah, that's true. yeah, yeah. Walt would have been a little bit later, but the rest of those guys are all kind of. And I think that's a a little bit. Uh, you know, I, I hey, you say there's some dumb ten minute penalties in there for me for sure, but. Uh, you know what? The game was played a certain way there in the '80s and the '90s. I mean, it was, yikes! I mean, it was scary. There were some buildings you go into. You go into Chicago, you're like, oh my god, Vanden Bush and and Ben Wilson, and you know, you go into uh, different rinks. You got to go into, you know, the old Adams Division in Hartford. We had to go into, you know, Philly, like even Philly, like you know, like going down to Washington. You know, Dale Hunter and that crew. What a pain it was, and the game had to be played a certain way so you know i always kind of uh, my dad you know what he never was much of a coach uh, for as an you know he let us do our own thing as kids and do our own uh, thing but you know what early on and uh, when i was coaching in hartford he always said well you know what you can play the game a lot of different ways but uh, it's always good to get your name in the box score one way or another right so that means you make a little bit of a statement one way or another and hopefully it wasn't going out there and taking a stupid slashing penalty at a key part of the game but uh, you played the game physical and you played the game hard and uh, uh, to me you can answer that question a lot of different ways but that's pretty good company to be in yeah it absolutely is absolutely is you mentioned you talked a little bit about how you got the your first coaching gig in portland um and and you lasted there for six seasons uh, and then uh, you got your first NHL coaching job after that um, yeah. uh, with Florida. And your first season there, they, they won the Southeast Division for the first time in franchise history. You got to the playoffs. Then there's a lot of momentum kind of building. Then the next year was the lockout, right? And I right. think that that kind of probably is what slowed you guys down a little bit. You missed the playoffs. And then you only had 16 games before you got before you got fired in Florida. Right. Um, <laughs> what did you learn from that experience about coaching at the highest level? 
Well, I mean, I, I, that number one, it's it, there's a lot of coaching, but there's some managing going on as well, and managing people. I mean, uh, coaching in the American League, you're used to kind of doing a lot of time, things hands-on. At the end of a bus trip, you stand up and you tell the guys what time practice is tomorrow and this and that. And, uh, you know, you got to manage people. you got to make sure you're – Coaches, whether uh, you know somebody's running the special teams, the power player, or the penalty kill, what their expectations are, uh, you're not hands on all the time. So you got to trust a lot of people around you. Uh, you have to uh, establish good communication, meaning uh, with your GM, with your players, with your your staff. You know, it's, it's always good to stay in touch. When you know what for me to to go in the locker room now and. You know, never had a cup of coffee until I was 39, and that's the truth. I never, never drank it while I was playing. It's uh, you know, with my Crohn's disease and that. And now I get a cup of coffee in the morning. I end up uh, spending a lot of time just kind of early, early in the morning, strolling around and checking in on how the strength and conditioning guys are doing or how your medical staff are doing. Uh, so you know, make sure that you stay in on the communication. And uh, you know what? It was an exciting time for me. You get your first NHL job, and you're always grateful for that I think uh, the team wasn't very well put together I think when we came out of lockout we were very injury prone we had a lot of players that were a little bit older and uh, uh, you know when another franchise that was certainly in major transition at the time but uh, for me a great learning experience and uh, to run your own team at the highest level was a uh, uh, something uh, you know really excited about I just got a few more for you Kevin um, immediately after you're fired there you were hired to coach the Canadian women's team. Right. And, and, and so I, I just wanted – how did that happen? Because I remember when I happened, I was like, really? Like, how, how do you go from coaching in the NHL to coaching the women? And, and, I, and there's a great little tidbit that I, I bet most people don't know. You, want, uh, can, you guys won gold in Sochi, but the coach doesn't get a, doesn't get a medal. What's up with that, right? So, I, just how did that happen? And then, and then, tell me about not getting not getting a gold medal. Well, it, it happened. Uh, you know what? Uh, at, at that time, uh, uh, you you you're kind of going through your. You know, you you haven't. Uh, 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 you feel sorry for yourself. You've just been fired, and so on and so forth. And you can kind of get wrapped up in that kind of thing. But for me, it's like, okay, what's next? And uh, uh, the immediate was, okay, what's a, where's an opportunity, number one, that uh, could open up? And that would have been with Hockey Canada. And uh, I got in touch with Bob Nicholson, uh, who was running Hockey Canada at the time. And I called him to see uh, just to plan a seat. I knew he was busy. He had the Spengler Cup coming up. He had the World Juniors coming up. The Olympics were on the horizon. And uh, I just called him. I said, uh, Bob, I'd be uh, uh, an old friend of my dad's. And I uh, said, you know, just putting a, 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 a bug in your ear uh, for the men's world championship in the spring. Uh, and that was, you know, probably beginning of December. And, uh, and about uh, three weeks later, I'm down in Florida. I'm on my flats boat uh, out fly fishing in the Keys by myself. And the phone rings, and it's Bob Nicholson. And he's like, hey, what are you, you know, talking for a minute? He goes, what would you think? We've just had some issues. Uh, what would you think of coaching the women's team at Sochi? And I was like, wow. Uh, was definitely, I was intrigued. I was also, uh, I was a little bit, I don't want to say concerned, but I was curious 
what the impression of that would be. Uh, I ended up uh, saying, I'll call you back. Uh, got on the phone, called some people I really respect, Brian Burke and Joe Punville and uh, uh, Mike Babcock, uh, somebody that was coaching the men's team that year, and called uh, a few different people. And uh, uh, Gino Oriama, who at the University of Connecticut, right. uh, coached the women's team for all those years, uh, uh, and, and bounced some things off these, these people. And they, to a person, were saying, you know what, what a great experience to go and coach some of the most elite players in the world and uh and that's what happened is i ended up taking the job and uh you know what it was a very quick turnaround i was hired i think in about mid-december and uh we ended up leaving uh for overseas around january 20th so a lot of new faces a lot of uh, a lot of work you know and uh uh and and there's some differences there's some real differences between coaching men and women and uh, I walk away from that experience a chance to go back to the Olympics and to uh, be a part of it you know it doesn't matter what you do is you know you can hey whatever you do at the Olympics is is, is fabulous but to be a, a head coach of, uh, of of the women's team was just a just a fabulous experience i still keep in touch with a number of the players today i just sent Haley wickenheiser a, uh, a text message a couple of days ago just proud how she has uh, really taken on a large role in canada and as we're going through our current crisis and uh, you know what for me it was uh, it was a great thing and all of a sudden you wrap it up and you play one of the best games, best hockey games that's ever been played. And that's uh, not an understatement. That Olympic gold uh, game, uh, Canada versus U.S. down, we were down 2 nothing with, I think, two and a half minutes to go and came back and tied it and uh, ended up winning it in overtime. So very special. Uh, at the end of it, coaches don't get medals because, you know what, sometimes in some sports, whether it's uh, figure skating or I think even like in bobsled and that kind of thing, that there's coaches, let's say there's a coach – uh, that's Russian, maybe coaching an American skater, right? So those coaches, they, uh, uh, they, they coach the athlete, you know, obviously sports a little bit different, but uh, to me, that was not a big deal. Uh, uh, later on, uh, Hockey Canada did present our staff with a replica of the, of the medal, and to me, uh, you know what? It's like a lot of things. Everybody's so busy with their phones, want to take pictures and take these. To me, I don't need a, mem- a medal. The memories that I have from that experience can last a lifetime. And I, I still keep in touch with a couple, uh, a number of the players. Actually, uh, right before uh, the season was postponed here, uh, ran into three of them in uh, in uh, Phoenix. They were there playing an exhibition game against the, uh, some of the team from the United States. And we went out uh, at night. Had a fabulous visit with them. Can't say enough about it. So, uh, to me, uh, one of the best things I've ever done in my life. That's awesome. Uh, After that, you end up in Chicago as an assistant coach, and I I, 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 and first year there, um, your first year there, they win the cup. And I I watched a a special that your daughter Hannah made for a um, TV station in Maine about just how how special it is to win win the Stanley Cup and how much of a pursuit right. it was for you. Um, you're talking, you know, all your all your career, never had a chance to win it as a player, and now as an assistant coach, you finally get it. Right. Talk, talk me through that, and then also, what did you do with the Cup when you had your day with it? Oh, man, that was uh, – that's neat that you watch Hannah's uh, uh, 
uh, cuts from that uh, that piece you did for News Center in Maine. Uh, she's a broadcaster uh, for NBC in Portland, and uh, she's on her own career path. Couldn't be prouder of her. So, uh, you know what? Uh, to to be in the game as long as you have uh, as a player, as a kid, and uh, all of a sudden to be you know in your fifties and you win your first cup. Uh, the emotion that goes along with that, and uh, to me, the, the amazing thing, and anytime I watch Cup uh, victory parties after now, like, I watch, and what I see is, I see, I'm just looking to see a guy with his shirt off, which may sound a little bit weird, but in all honesty, walking around that locker room after after our final game and to see what those players look like, you know, they're, none of them are shaved, and number one, their bodies, are, they're just, it's like watching Naked and Afraid, and I'm not kidding, they just, they fade away, they get the best nutrition in the world, but it's impossible to keep on, like, uh, like uh, Duncan Keith, to see what he looked like. I mean, uh, skinny and frail and just, but you talk about uh, iron will. Holy smokes. What a, what a player. And I can say that about a dozen guys, Nicholas Hamstrom, the players that were there are just, uh, it's a special, special thing to be a part of it. And you see guys that go through that, you see what happened and how, that crew uh, with the Flyers have been able to keep together and to walk together for as long as they have. It's a uh, it's something to be envious of. And, uh, you know, what even the current players, I don't know if they appreciate that much. Once you get that depth of experience and, and you get a chance to put your hands on that cup, knowing that you actually deserved it, it's a, a, a pretty special thing. So I took it up to Lake George, New York, and it was neat. I brought uh, up there. My dad won the cup in 55 with Detroit. And uh, we had a party up there. First, we had a fundraiser that day for the Hole in the Woods camp, which is a Paul Newman's uh, camp for, not terminally, but kids that have a lot of illnesses, a lot from New York City and from different areas. And they come up to the area. So Saratoga Racetrack's about uh, 25 minutes from my house. So we brought the cup down to the track, and we spent a couple hours down there, and people could get their picture uh, with the cup for uh, for donation. And I think we raised almost $15,000 for Hole in the Woods camp. So that was great, and then we just had a bash at my house. And it was what was kind of neat about it is we turned it into a little bit of a celebration for my dad, too. You know what? Back then, they didn't get the cup for the day. And to see his red wing ring, yeah, it was like just this little peanut ring uh, compared to these mammoth things uh, uh, that, that uh, we get nowadays. Uh, so we turned it into a pretty neat party that uh, relatives, friends, family, uh, we had, uh, you know, get three or 400 people there. It was a, it was a pretty good shaker. I got to say, I had people come up to me and say, you know what, been to a lot of parties, you know, weddings and this and that. This one, I think they were expecting to come over and get a picture with the cup, and then that was it. But uh, you know what? It was just a fabulous evening. Great, great thing to be a part of. And uh, I'd never, didn't really get a chance to uh, have something family-wise as far as the Olympics. So we actually changed, turned it into kind of an Olympic gold slash uh, uh, 
uh, uh, Stanley Cup party. So I think four four players from our uh, Olympic team, uh, four of the girls came up for the uh, uh, party and uh, up in upstate Lake George, New York. And uh, yeah, pretty good dinner to say the least. That's awesome. That's fantastic. Um, now you're after your five years there, you're now back as the bench boss uh, with the San Diego Gulls in the AHL. You guys were having a solid season battling for playoff positioning when the, when the season was shut down yeah. by the coronavirus. And by the way, your primary, your primary goalie there is a former Flyers prospect, Anthony Stolarz, who's having, yeah. a, having a nice season for you. Yeah, he is. Um, last year, we interviewed Scott Gordon on this show, and he was when he was the interim coach of the Flyers. And he said while he would consider NHL jobs in the future, he really felt most comfortable coaching in the AHL where he could help players develop. As someone who's Anthony, uh, Scott uh, Scott Gordon, oh, Scotty said that. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Now, as someone who's done both, uh, done it at both levels, and you're in the AHL again, do you kind of agree with him, or would you like another crack at it in the N- in the NHL? Uh, I agree with him, and I want another crack at it in the <laughs> NHL. And that's not being, yeah. you know, trying to be funny. I mean, no, yeah. hey, you know what? You've got. Uh, uh, how do you judge? You know your work you enjoy going to work every day i love getting up i love working with these prospects uh seeing how watching their development curve watching the hiccups and brain farts you see here at the american league level i mean it's you know going to work and and seeing these guys and and working with potential i mean it's fabulous i i can't say enough it's just a incredible experience i work love working for uh the anaheim ducks we have fabulous ownership here uh we've got uh, quality facilities uh and we got really really good prospects so uh we got off we were 0 and six that's how we started the year i'm like oh my god what am i doing as a head coach here again and uh that was tough we ended the season we were plus 12 so you know what uh, there was some nice transition i think we we would have been a formidable opponent in the playoffs. So I was really excited about seeing our squad. I think we might have gotten one or two more guys down from Anaheim for the uh, um, for the playoffs. At the end of it, you know what? Uh, to me, uh, I'm really, really enjoying what I'm doing right now. Here's what I will say, and I know exactly what Scotty's saying. What I'm, I'm not doing is I, I, I kind of laugh. You see – uh, a GM job come up or a coaching job come up and you'll automatically see different people's names pop, pop up. And I think a lot of times self-promotion gets you a little ways in, in our game. And I think for me, you just go about your business, you work hard, you're sincere in what you do. And somebody, if they recognize that, then, uh, you know, there's a, there's a belief, but you know what, let's not kid ourselves. There's a ton, ton, ton of good coaches out there right now. You look at it, you know what, you guys had Mike Knubel on there last week. I think he's done a, a fabulous job there. That whole organization, uh, they've always put a good product there. And he's a Grand Rapids, correct? Correct, yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I knew he was there, yeah. But, I, I mean, I assume that he's there because that's a really quality. His family might be from that area, yep. I think. Yeah, you know, I think that's a great setup for him. And, uh, you know, I think he's a guy that uh, does a fabulous job there. I look at the Flyers coaches this year. You know what? Those guys, uh, you know what? There's a, a lot of years of experience in that crew. But, uh, you know what? You watch the team play. When we got on here tonight, I was telling you, I watched uh, 
a couple games just to get a little pre-scout on the team and get a feel. Look like the guys are having fun. They're playing hard. They're playing for each other. Uh, uh, you know, so lots of good coaches out there. Just take care of your own business. Everything else, take care of itself. All right. Last question, Kevin. This is one that Russ asked Mike Knubel last week. Um, and I think it's going to become a thing that we're going to ask now to wrap up uh, every interview we do. If you does Russ ever speak, or no? well, you he does. You can't hear me <laughs> too much often, right? But thankfully today, you can't hear him, so it's just it's all me. Um, but uh, the question that he asked Mike Knubel last week, he says, "If you could go back and play one final shift in the NHL today, going back into the to all the people you've played with in your career." Who would be your two line mates, and who would be the two defensemen, and who would be your goalie? Who you play? Who you played with? Not current players. Who Game on the line. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's a tough one. You know what? I will. I was going to say I should stick strictly with uh, Flyers guys that I played with on the Flyers, but that wouldn't be fair because. You know what? I played with Ronnie Francis. Yep. Uh, man, to have that guy dishing you the puck. Hey, trust me. You get 300 goals. There's uh, yeah, there's a lot of tappings in there. Believe me. I was never known for my skill set, but I knew my sentiment were pretty doggone special. So uh, I would say Ronnie in the middle. I'll throw Big E on the left, even though I'm leaving out Johnny LeClaire. I could put Michael Renberg in there. Yeah. I mean, a lot of really good players, but you got to throw the big man on the other side, and I'd be dumping it into his corner, let him go in there and run the piss out of somebody and <laughs> putting, giving it to Ronnie, and Ronnie give me a little tap in. So I would say on the back end, uh, well, actually, I guess I am going to flyer because I'll give Ulti Samuelson one spot. Uh, wow. Played the game hard. Yes. You guys probably didn't see the best of them in uh, Philly. Well, in New York, or, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Hartford early on. Oh, my God. Yeah. Was he a beast. I mean, this guy was incredible. Um, boy, who would be the other defenseman? I I mean, there's a tough, a good choice. Uh, a lot of good choice, choices. I will go Flyers again. I'll say Eric Desjardins. Yeah. You know what? That guy's a hockey player. Holy yeah. smokes. Yep. Just a, a righty, heavy shot, make a fast seam. I mean, this guy was a special, special player, right? Yep. And, uh, you know, I can't I, – I hate to say this. How did Rico's career – was it an injury-related? Uh, yeah, he had a – I thought it was. Yeah, it was mostly injury. He tried to play through it, and then it kind of wrapped up because he had to wrap yeah. up because of the injuries. Yeah, I knew that because he was the kind of guy you would think would have played for, you know, until, you know, as long as he wanted to. I right. think, uh, anyways, he'd be there. Oh, boy, in net. Uh, that's a tough one. Uh, uh, net, there's a ton of good choices out there. I will I will throw uh, Mike Liu as the yeah. guy in a big game. You know what, Ludie was, uh, like you were talking about the Hartford runs there early on, Ludie was pretty special. And when he was at his best, he was a pretty formidable appointment. So uh, throw Ludie in net. Yeah, I mean, especially when you look at that back at that series against Montreal in 86, you're talking about a time when there was a lot of goals being scored in hockey. Yeah. And you guys, every game in that series was like 2-1. Right, three, two, yeah. one, nothing in Game Six. So it was a lot of low scoring. So you had to think that the goalies were playing great, and you know you had Wall on the other side, and and Mike Leute on your guy for you guys. That was uh, some really good stuff. So, yeah. hey, hey, Kev, listen. Hey, hey, awesome. wait, 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 wait. 
Wait. Ask him his favorite hockey movie. It's gonna be. It's gonna be a miracle. Uh, he can't see my mouth. You're not talking to he, you. He can't. He can't see my mouth. So I. I know what he's gonna pick. Don't tell him I know. Go ahead. All right. Russ wants wants me to ask you one last thing. He wants to know what your favorite hockey movie is. Hockey movie. Oh my God. No question. Cutting edge. No. What would be, uh, <laughs> what's, what's this called? Uh, you know where he goes to the Olympics. Uh, they're, uh, Miracle? No, he's, uh, the, the figure the guy turns a hockey player turns into a figure skater. I know oh, yeah. you're shaking your head. Oh, Blades of Glory? Cutting, I think it was Cutting Edge. What, cut, think, cutting Edge. Yeah, the Cutting Edge. Whoa! Whoa! He just can't believe it. Whoa! <laughs> no, cutting it. DB Sweeney. DB Sweeney, that's right. Yeah, yeah. DB Sweeney. DB, I moved to Chicago, right? We've been in Chicago for a couple months. Go to church one day. I got. No, yeah, it's, me, like, it's me. It's me. It's me. Oh, I've got DB Sweeney sitting in the next pew to me. And I'm like, I said to my wife, I'm like, that's DB Sweeney right there. Right. So church ends. I end up introducing myself to him outside of church. He comes one of my best buddies in Chicago. Right. We end up golfing together. We kind of got uh Got to know DB, so you know what? Told me lots of great Hollywood stories and this and that. So I did get you. I know you were thinking uh, Slapshot or Miracle or something like that, but I think I might have got you with the cutting. You end, did, so. you did, and and yeah. Rob Rob Lowe was young blood. That's the I was getting That's confused. Right. I was That's getting right. confused. Rob right. Lowe was young blood. Well, hey, listen, Kevin, I really appreciate the time. This was awesome. Even though we had the technology issues, for you to hang on the phone with us for an hour and ten minutes was was really good stuff. Russ likes goon. <laughs> oh. uh, and I know your favorite flyer was Greg Smythe, right? Probably all those years. Well, he, Russ won't remember. <laughs> Russ doesn't remember him. Russ is 30 years old. He has no clue. I'm not 30 yet. Whoa. I'm not even 30 Whoa. yet. He's Thank like 29. You. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Don't I, age only me I up remember yet. Greg Smythe. So. That's too funny. Yeah. Too funny. But anyway, Kevin. Uh, it's good hey, stuff. Catching up, you guys. That was good stuff. You know what? It's uh, uh, always, uh, you know, at these times, I find that uh, there's so many different things you can, you know, post on the media and this and that. You know what's been really great is being able to pick up the phone. Like like tonight, I'll probably, you know, it's been a while since I've given Big E a call. So I'll probably give him a call and, and tell him that I, I, I uh, had a little chat with you guys and just a, a chance to catch up. You know, that's all. I've, you know what? You take advantage of these times and uh, a good excuse. But it's nice meeting two new friends, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you guys uh, uh, around the rink sometime soon, okay? Sounds good, Kevin. Thank you Thanks, very, Kevin. very much. Appreciate your time. You All right, take care. Ladies and gentlemen, that was former Flyer Kevin Deneen. How about that? It's a great interview, wasn't it? That was really good. Now, the only unfortunate thing, tech thing. Now, the funny thing when we look back at this now, after I'm going to spend probably three and a half, four, five, ten hours editing all that audio, <laughs> is every guest that we've had since we've gone to the uh, the live video format and then to podcast, we've always said, you know, show's going to start at 745, guest comes on at 8. This is the first time that we didn't wait for the guest before going live. And it's the first time we've had a tech issue. And I think I know why we did, but I couldn't have done anything to, to help him at that point. I yeah. think I'm going to have to get the maestro Kyle Scott to throw a little bit of money our way 
and make sure that we can get a uh, at least for the next couple of months a, a premium Zoom account because I the... have a pre- I have a premium Zoom account. Why did you ask me for one? <laughs> I have it for the theater. I so hate I... you so much. <laughs> you didn't. You didn't tell me you're you te- a premium Zoom account. Oh my god! This whole time, we could have had better quality video coming through. No delay on the live stream. We could have had an easier way to integrate. You and I wouldn't have to wear headphones. What the heck, San Filippo? Oh my god. Okay. So there are two things. We'll, next, the next one we'll do is we'll do it on Zoom. All right, good. So there are two things that I want to get to really quickly. Um, yeah. And, and they are related to um, to the NHL. By, by the way, Seriously, thank you to Kevin Deneen, who I think maybe we'll have back on at some point. He was awesome. I'm jealous of the uh, the California background that he had. It was, it that was incredible. That was yeah. a thing of beauty. Um, there were a couple of things that that I want to get into before we head out because I don't know if you don't. I guess you don't see a timer here. We've been at it for over an hour and a half. We're hoping that people are sticking around, but based on the five-star review from last week, it sounds like people stick around. I think people are missing their hockey, so uh, let's just take a look at this really quick. So last week, it was five days ago, it was 22nd, Andy Slater, who you've never heard of, I had never heard of, uh, is based out of Florida. He tweets out, Justin, NHL looking at restarting season in July. Games would be played at four or five neutral sites with limited or no fans, according to fly, uh, to Florida Panthers president Matt Caldwell. On the conference call, he said the plan is not finalized. Then this was, uh, I guess, further elaborated on at some point uh, later in the day. Uh, Emily Kaplan quote tweeting Greg uh, White. Is it Wyshninski? Do you know this? Wyshinsky. Wyshinsky, yeah. uh, who puck, said puck latest... Daddy said uh, latest pushes for NHL to return to two to four of its arenas in arenas where the COVID-19 outbreak has been managed and restrictions would allow it very much targeting completion of the regular season. No timetable. NHL PA needs to sign off on any of it. Emily Kaplan adds hearing the favorites are rally uh, Minnesota Edmonton and to be determined in the Atlantic division. I I have an update on that. Okay. (laughs) Um, Is this a report? Yeah, this is courtesy of the New York Post, uh, Larry Brooks, okay. columnist. Um, he talks about uh, the the NHL having a return to play committee okay. um, that has been established by both the league and the union. Um, okay. They had a couple of uh, conference calls in the last three days. Uh, on those calls are Commissioner Gary Bettman, Assistant Commissioner Bill Daly, Senior VPs Coley Campbell and Steve Hatz, uh, Steve Hatz Petros, uh, represent for the NHL. And while the, the NHLPA is represented by uh, their leader, Don Fear, uh, Matthew Schneider, uh, their general counsel, uh, and then divisional rep, Steve Webb, and active players, John Tavares, Connor McDavid, Mark Scheifele, Ron Hainsey, and James Van Riemsdyk, hey, hey. Um, medical advisors for both the league and the union are added to the calls when they're appropriate, and talks about um, th- that they're just kind of talking um, uh conceptually still they they still haven't really determined the details Mm -hmm. um but that uh everything is depending on you know the facts and entire set of circumstances that are obviously being tied in with the coronavirus the the talk had been that calgary and edmonton um but uh that 
that is no longer a case uh, because Alberta's chief medical officer of health reiterated that gatherings of 15 or more people would be prohibited until at least September. Um, but according to sources, Toronto and Columbus are the leading contenders for two of the host cities. So those two are almost definitely going to happen. What the other two are remain to be seen. They haven't talked about if it was going to be by division or if it was going to be done geographically. Mm-hmm. Um, so you don't know, you know, you know, are they going to, if you try, for example, like if you go into Toronto and you say, well, that's for the Atlantic division. Well, that's fine for the Maple Leafs, the Senators, the Canadians, the Bruins, the Red Wings, the Sabres. That's not far. It's a pain in the ass for the Lightning and the Panthers, right? Yeah. To get there. So yeah. maybe if you pick Raleigh as another option. It's not bad. It, the, you put them there and maybe you move two of the um, uh, metro teams to Toronto that might be a little bit easier to get up you know, up yeah. there. So it, it will depend on how that uh, is determined. Also, a fact um, uh, to the, you know, what the, in, the league is kind of looking at, um, Canada is a concern because right now the currency conversion rate uh, has the Canadian dollars only 71 cents compared to the U.S. dollar. Right. That's bad. So that's so wanting to put put this up in Canada, you know, is is another issue as far as that's concerned. So there's a lot of things that they're considering. Um, I I think Toronto and Columbus are certainly going to happen. Um, And I think this whole thing is going to happen. It's you know, it's going to it's going to be probably mid-July. They're going to try and finish the regular season. Maybe they shave a couple games off of that just get to 80 or 78 or whatever the case might be, yeah. you know, determine a number. And if they look at it and say, well, maybe then we'll have an extra playoff team or two and then stretch that out over the course of August and September to determine your Stanley cup champions. I think that's, what's really going to happen. And then the league's not going to start next season until Thanksgiving. So um, yeah, that's the latest news. It's kind of Russ, I, I think, and I, I'm not trying to toot our own horn here, but I think we've kind of been on this from the beginning. I mean, there are details, obviously, that we don't know and we, we won't know until we hear about them. But just kind of like the initial scuttlebutt that we had heard back in March kind of led us to believe that we were, you know, we were looking at opening training camps mid-June. We thought two weeks. Now we're hearing it's maybe going to be three weeks for a training camp. Okay, fine. But that sometime in early to mid July is when the NHL is going to look to resume, and I think that that's that's going to be a thing that happens. Now, when will the draft come into play? The draft might run con- um, concurrently. I don't I know just, what you're listening to. I can't. I, no, well, I'm, I'm putting it through here. Ready? You're saying not to toot our own horn. Well, it's because you were. You're saying that's right. Toot. That's okay. So toot toot. Yeah, that's good. Beep, beep, but um, toot, toot, I think that the draft toot, might toot, happen at, uh, after the conclusion of the regular season, but nah. as the playoffs are happening. I so I, I think that's a possibility. I like the idea of just going back and fine, finish the regular season, but none of it really matters except for playoff seating. Just go back, pick what what was the number sixty eight is the the fewest games that have been played by a team. Yeah. Wind everybody to 68, go from there. Build the order there, because the rest of it doesn't matter. I mean, what what are we really trying to do at that point when it comes to the, well, when it comes to the draft? Well, I mean, the, the solution, I think, I think that the concern that, that, a, that a lot of, you know, people are having is, is that 
All right. So there are there are a number of teams who are on the outside looking in who, you know, have a shot still to make the playoffs. Sure. But but do you look at a team like Detroit or L.A. or Anaheim who are out of it at this point and mm-hmm. like. Can they ramp it up to play 10 games or whatever they need to play? Like, who you cares? know, are they going to go? Well, I mean, the only the only thing that I would say, yes, look, even to that is, is they're getting paid. Yeah. So, right. Like- so if you're getting paid, you do it, whether you want to or not. No, I mean, they're going paid. to, but are they really going to care? No, because this, I think, and, and I want to get to this next week or to another show we might do before then. Uh, I, I think so much of this comes down to look at what the, the players in the NHL have said and what the NBA have said, which is they want X amount of weeks. And why? It's because you want to avoid injury. I've said this for weeks now, but imagine playing for the Red Wings and being told, hey, you need to get yourself back in camp, take three weeks or so to get yourself back up to game shape, go out and play anywhere from 12 games, maybe as few as five, whatever arbitrary number you want to pick. And then it's over, right? So you're going to spend three weeks to get yourself ready. Play those games, half-ass it. Let's be honest; they're not gonna well, like. Why? Why so, would you try? Well, here, you, at that point, let, you're let me, just trying to mitigate any kind of injury. Why would you let try? Me, let me stop you for a second because I don't think that you're talking about. I think that you know you say okay, there might be a half-assing mentality. I think what those teams will probably do is not make their better players come back and let the um, prospects or the AHL types come in. And get like a 10 game, you know, if I were Gary Bettman, I would find those teams. I would find them. So if if the idea here is we want to do what's best for the league, that's not allowed. You roll out your best lineup. You don't have the option to go and play your AHL kids. It's arbitrary to say what's best for the what's best for the team. And what's best for the team is say, well, well, like we have an opportunity here to let some of our prospects get an opportunity to play at the NHL level. We're going to give that chance, give them that, give them that chance. That's best for the Kings or best for the Red Wings. I'm going to pull this up. You know, I, mean, I don't know. I think that that's a. That's I just want to. I want to see something before I throw this out there and and sound like a dweeb. Give me a mm-hmm. second. I want to see who, who did they have left? Okay. So to end the season, and then keep this in mind, I guess, for potential playoff standings, the Red Wings have to play, if we finish the season, right, they have to play the Capitals, which means that for the Flyers, you would have to sit back and watch an AHL team take on the team that you're trying to jump over for the division. Granted, the Flyers do also play the Red Wings, fine. Tampa Bay, Florida, Arizona, Vegas, Boston, the Capitals again, uh, the Blues, and then the Maple Leafs and the Lightning again. I guess what I'm saying is if we're going to expect these teams to come back and I were a team that's either fighting to make the postseason or I'm one of these teams that's trying to win my division or I'm one of these teams that's trying to catapult myself higher up in the rankings – I'd be kind of pissed off if I weren't playing against this AHL team. And I got to see the Capitals, for example, get to take them on twice. I, I got to see Tampa Bay take them on twice. I would feel kind of jaded. Okay, well, let me ask you, how is this any different 
than, say, an NFL team who clinches a playoff berth and, and say, week 17 decides to sit all their starters because they don't want to get anybody hurt. And the and the, uh, the team that they're playing impacts somebody else playoff wise. It sucks. It's, it's no different. Yeah, it sucks. Right? But, uh, well, is, it, is it any different I than I think it's different the, because well, I, I mean, it's different in that that's one game. Now, I get that it's one out of 16, but the overall ramifications of that versus how many games did I just rattle off? Is that 12? I think so. And you've got two teams, Lightning and the Caps, that would play them twice. twice. So 10 teams. That's going to affect potentially 10 teams plus any of the other teams around them. This is, like, to me, this is a bigger thing. Like, we can go percentages, I guess, and it's it ends up being a bigger chunk of the season overall than even your example. I get it. I, I don't think that what happens in the NFL in Week 17 is okay, but that, that doesn't matter right now. I I tend to I, agree with you. I, I just think that, like, if you're going to do it, everybody's got to be in. Otherwise, you've got to figure out a way to just go to a tournament, go directly to a play-in tournament, or incentivize. So the NBA talked about having the mid-season tournament, right, where you maybe are able to pick up – well, some thoughts were maybe we'll award wins or points to teams that finish higher in that um, in that tournament – Maybe what you do here is incentivize to the teams at the bottom. You make it a race to the most points of the teams that are projected to miss the postseason. And whichever team ends up winning that mini tournament or winning that race to the top in points, there you go. That's your lottery for the next or or that's your, you know, your top 10 or whatever in the draft. You have to have something that incentivizes it. Otherwise, I don't know why these guys would ever come back and be motivated. But look, there's no good way to do this. I think that's the problem. That's probably why the owners, the players, Players Association, Gary Bettman, Fear, everybody's trying to come up with something that's fair and equitable. But there really isn't anything unless you finish the regular season and everybody actually goes out and tries. Unless you, like, what do you do? Do you tell your star players, all right, you got to... You got to lace up the skates, first game back, fake a hit into the board, and we'll take you out and we'll put you on inter- Like You know, like it doesn't work. I don't know. Yeah. No, it's, it's, uh, then I again, it's not our job to figure it out. We can make this a thing. I think on the next episode, we can go into this a little bit more. I guess okay. we have well, a mini. Why don't we do our. Go ahead. Well, we have a mini announcement, sort of. So we threw out to you a week ago that we had a former flyer coming on the show. Because when we throw out to you that there's a big announcement or that there's going to be a special guest on the show, we make sure that it's a special guest. It's not just like, I don't know, some other person. It's, it's going to be a legit guest. Kevin Denis did a really nice job tonight. Uh, and Mike Knubel last week and Brian Prop, who should be in the NHL Hall of Fame a week prior. We have potentially, we have quasi-confirmed with somebody that will, well, it's going to get a lot of Flyers fans excited. It's going to get a lot of Flyers media excited. And I think it's actually going to upset a lot of the media that they haven't procured this person for their show or an article. And I fear, Anthony, I think that when this person comes on the show, they're going to have quite the story to tell or multiple stories to tell. 
and that mm-hmm. some of the websites that don't like to acknowledge our existence might actually have to acknowledge it because they certainly will not have access to this person. I'm just throwing it Maybe. out there. So if you like to go to Flyers sites and after we do the show with this person, if you don't see it anywhere, I would just say, you know, send a couple tweets their way and just ask why. By the way, social media, this is an issue I have. I'm going to air it out right now before we go. There is a Facebook group called Let's Go Flyers. And I will go to war. So Let's Go Flyers, and I'm going to continue to pull back some layers of this onion. They were the ones who went and took Dave Isaac's mailbag story and were horribly irresponsible with it. Mm-hmm. They assigned the Oscar Lindblom part about his career not uh, continuing, not being a slam dunk, and attributed it to Nolan Patrick. So I'm like, okay, well, I've never heard of this blog they before. They mashed the two together. They mashed they them together. And, and made part. it a clickbait headline, which makes yes. any other blog sound awful, right? It's the thing that constantly gets thrown by traditional media folk. Oh, these blogs, they just make up stories. So this happened. I'm like, I've never heard of Let's Go Flyers before. Uh, so I go over to Facebook and I'm like, I wonder, could this be this, like, could this site and this group be linked? There are like 236,000 followers to this page on Facebook. So I'm like, okay, what kind of things do they post? And is it good information? No, it's all crap. It's all, I don't know who writes, right? Because they don't attribute any of their articles to a writer, right? But what they'll do is they'll take something like this Nolan Patrick thing that they totally botched and turn it into a clickbait thing. And then you see hundreds or thousands of people on this page jumping on, losing it about Nolan Patrick. And it's like, well, hold on. Did anybody think to go back and make sure that this is a real thing? No, because you look at the Facebook page and you go, there's 200,000 people here. This must be a responsible outlet. No. Then you look at the other site that I guess they're part of and must be part of a network or they're somehow related. And it's like NHL announces when they will return. BS. Not true. They did like three posts about this and it was all crap. I'm just saying, I guess... That if you're part of one of these groups, that's fine, right? Everybody wants to spend time with their favorite, you know, fellow Flyers fans. But you have to be careful about where you get your information. So did I flag the uh, the story? I may or may not have. I would encourage that if you see fake Flyers news that's not news and it's just clickbaity and it's crap, that you flag it on Facebook. Not that they're going to care, but you get the point. Because for some people who do a really good job, Dave Isaac, they had their words absolutely manipulated, turned into garbage, and then put onto a page that has a massive reach. And to me, that's upsetting. And it should be upsetting to you. So with that said, we have a five-star review that we need to get to before we get out of here because I know how much Anthony loves the five-star reviews. Don't forget, go over on Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review. You can watch on the video feed. You can listen. You can hear the smile through the microphone. And this one, this one was sent in by Joe Groomer, who says, just to see a smile, Ant, five stars. Thanks, guys. I really enjoy listening to you guys and look forward to your next cast. Keep up the great work. But just to see you smile, Anthony. Thanks, Joe Groomer. 
Appreciate that. Joe Groomer! Right? Like McGroover? All right. All right. Um, we got to wrap this up. I had one other question for you, fella, because there were a bunch of questions over here, and, and maybe we'll get to them on the next show. Um, what's the getup today? Because you don't look like you're wearing one of your traditional... No, I didn't do it. It's not a getup. There's no goatee. The glasses no. look dapper. What's that shirt? I see. Is that a hockey stick? It's uh, it's Snyder hockey. Snyder, Snyder hockey. hockey. Look at yeah. you. Come on. Yeah. Well done. This was just a. This was just a little back to normal. Yeah. Back to normal day. Uh, yeah, we're we're opening golf courses on Friday. I feel like we're getting back boop, to normal. Boop, right? boop, boop, boop. I might have to go out and hit the links. I won't. I'll lose like forty golf balls if I try to play eighteen holes. Anyway. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening to Snow the Goalie, the only Flyers podcast. Don't forget, follow us over on Twitter at Snow the Goalie, at Ant San Philly, at Joy on Broad, over on Facebook.com, Facebook.com slash Snow the Goalie. You can go check out our archive. We have the link in the description of this episode, both on the video feed and on the audio feed. We're now on Megaphone. We're happy to be there. You might start hearing some ads before or in the middle or at the end of our shows. We're just trying to keep things afloat here while uh, we have no live programming to put out other than seeing our glowing faces. And hey, by the way, send us an idea at uh, snowthegoalie at gmail.com if you want. If you have a mailbag question you want to get answered or if you have a suggestion of someone you would like to see on the show with us. But we're going to be you know, continuing to work here for the next few weeks to make sure that we're bringing on a guest. We'll do this long form interview. We hope you're enjoying it. What else is there to do out there? Nothing. Listen to Snow the Goalie and share it with a friend. Share it with multiple friends. Share it with your family. Share it with your pet. I don't care. As long as that pet can leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, (laughs) it's all the same to me. Make sure you tune in on Facebook and on Twitter later this week. We will announce who the special guest is. We might do the show live on video. It might be archived. We're not positive. This person's stories might be too hot to handle. They might want us to go back and retract a few parts. So in the meantime, you can uh, start to throw out some ideas of who you think the guest is going to be. Probably later this week. Anthony, anything else from you before we go? No, Russ, you've you've handled it with your usual aplomb. You know how like during the debates they have the word counter? This this candidate spoke for this amount of time and Yeah. You know, well, I figured that like once Kevin got off and I had the ability to interact with whoever I'm I'm talking to, you, I should get my word count in. Otherwise it would just be so upsetting. It'd probably result in a three star review. We're just trying to make sure that we keep that five-star rating. Anyway, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Until next time. See ya. Stay classy out there. Oh, look at that. I got the video. There's the video. I I can't hear him. Can you hear him, Anthony? No. You got to turn your mic on, Kevin. No, not yet. I think, I think you gotta. No, maybe you just muted yourself. Now, okay. You should be unmuted. Huh. Let's see. We're gonna have to figure this one out. Usually, see, the last few weeks when we've done this, 
we've ended up waiting until the guest comes in, and then we we troubleshoot everything ahead of time. And uh, well, let's see. Yeah, Russ is Russ is good. Russ is good at figuring this stuff out. Yeah, I'm thinking that Kevin's issue on the tech is maybe Chrome or something has uh, has the audio blocked. Would be my guess. We'll have to figure this out. Anthony, how are we going to figure this out while um, we are live? Well, I think the uh, is there another option, Russ? Maybe coming in, come in through Skype. Is that a possibility? I can I can text Kevin the a Skype number. We could try. It might be a disaster. <laughs> we could try. Um, I'm trying to think yeah. of what the best thing to do here is. Kevin, yeah, are you on a you on Chrome? What's what browser are you using? No, no. Okay. <laughs> the other thing, maybe, what about this, Russ? I could call him and put him on speaker, and have it come through my through my mic. Oh wait! Oh, this is good. This is good. This is live show. Now, the people on the podcast feed won't get to appreciate what's happening right now. But Kevin's Kevin is writing now writing things. Sixteen-year-old will look good. Yes. yes! <laughs> Bring the children! So this is the beauty of doing shows live. So Kevin, for those on the podcast feed, won't get to hear this, but uh, he he pulled out a legal pad, and we've been now communicating through legal pad. This is what it's all about. I'm guessing that the mic is blocked in Chrome or whatever the browser is. Maybe. We've now enlisted a 16-year-old tech expert to come in and get this thing going. We'll see. It might work. It might not. If it doesn't, we'll have to figure it out, Anthony. Well, like I said, I can, I can always call him on, on the phone, keep, him, keep the video up. We have but... uh, <laughs> I'm looking over now. So we have one person asking if it's Zoom. We don't because, okay, he says call, right? Yeah. Or no, he's going to text gonna... you? Maybe he's going to text no, I'm going to call him. I'm just gonna call him and put him on speaker. Okay. And then he can sit there. That's what I'll okay. do. I think that's the easiest solution at this point. Okay. Which is not an issue. So here we go. You get to you get to hear how this works. Can you hear this, Russ? Oh, I sure can. You gotta mute, yeah, mute the computer mic. Mute the computer mic. There we go. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna I, get hey, some of your hey. other. Um, I want Kevin to try go. this really quick. Oh, it's backwards. Top right, top, okay. top right gear Let's button. Go. Hold on. Oh my God, where's my kit? Top right gear button of the okay. of the window. Now, now, now I don't have an apple, right? You know that. It's, yeah, so it's, it's no, up on the top right of your screen. It looks like a flower. It's like in the window. Tell him it's in the. Tell him, tell him it's where his no, video is. I know is. which one he's talking about, and I can't see it. No, it's, right. it's uh, like in the... Tell him it's in the browser. Nearby. Shoot. Don't, don't, don't sweat it. This is working. Are you sure? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Unless, unless you get Declan back to find it for you, this is working just fine. Anthony, tell him no. it's just in his browser no. screen. It's not a different I program. I right. Uh, trust me. Yeah. I, I swore one or two goals at top right. <laughs> 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 I don't see it. I don't see it. That's all right. I'm scared. Uh, I'm really scared that I'm going to screw this up. 
This is right up my alley. This is exactly. Hold on. Yeah. Okay. Hey, Doug. Come take one more look for me here. Oh, there it is. Got it. Got it. Wait. Got it. Yeah. Okay. I hit it. Okay. Do I right click it or left click it? No, just just left click it. Left click. Okay. Left click. Okay. Now let's take another picture just of me on there. Yeah. Default microphone. Yeah. Let's try this. Yes. yes! Ha! No, <laughs> no, it's still coming through my phone, Russ. Oh, come on, Anthony. Oh, it was Sampolipo, Anthony. All right, it's fine. It's fine. No, it's okay. And Anthony, pick the phone back up. It's fine. It's fine. No, it's still coming through my phone. Anthony, just pick, just pick the photo. It's fine. That's all. You can you can leave you can leave me on speaker, Kev, because I can hear you just fine. Look, if I keep my phone up. Tell him to mute. He needs to mute his video. You got to mute the video though. There we go. There we go. So you're good. Right. So you can keep it on speaker if you want. 